This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the evening worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for November 26, 2023. The title of the message is, How Majestic Is Your Name? If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 8, Psalm 8, we come now to... Um, to this psalm of praise that reflects on the glory and the majesty of God in creation and, and particularly in, in humanity, yeah, in, the, in our creation. And, and we, that's why we touched a little bit on Hebrews chapter 2 because it shows uh, here we have the great promise, uh, the types and the shadows that God uh, built into creation when he created the heavens, humanity, and uh, and and the rest of of the universe, uh, being fulfilled in the coming and the majesty of Jesus Christ. So, here then now the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse one. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And thus is the reading of God's holy word. On December 25th, 2021, the James Webb Space Telescope was launched into orbit. It is the most sophisticated and powerful telescope up to date. The pictures of all the stars and the galaxies are so breathtaking. You almost can't imagine that they are, they are real pictures. Uh, the colors, uh, the, the patterns, uh, the um, beauty of it is, is indescribable. And because of the Webb telescope, uh, we have all this amazing new data that uh, has been updated, and it's estimated that there are between 200 to 200 billion to 200 trillion galaxies. Uh, I, I mean, there are there are systems within the galaxies, and then there's 200 billion of them. I mean, that's a I just you can't I can't wrap my mind around it. Uh, the 200. 200 billion to 200 trillion galaxies and approximately 200, now get this, billion trillion. Not, not just one, 200 billion and not just 200 trillion, but 200 billion trillion. I didn't even know that's a number. 200 billion trillion stars in the observable universe. And there are an estimated 700 quintillion planets. Now that's seven 
with 20 zeros after it. That's how many planets are estimated to be in, in the observable universe. That's what we can see, uh, particularly with uh, the uh, Webb telescope. Our universe is so vast that we are just a drop in the bucket of the ocean that we call the universe. And it all should make us wonder with, with awe and reverence the way that David did. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Tonight, I'd like for us to consider just a few themes of God's majesty here uh, in Psalm 8, to consider the majesty of God's glory uh, in the heavens, uh, in humanity, and in creation. So what are some of these themes? First, we have the majestic glory of God in creation. You have set, look, at verse, look at verse 1. You have set your glory above the heavens. And when I look at your heavens, verse 3, the work of your fingers, uh, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. You can almost picture David uh, tending his flock on the hills near Bethlehem seeing the innumerable stars and galaxies in the night sky, seeing them night after night in, perf in perfect placement, in harmony, and thinking to himself, isn't God amazing? He sees the work of God's fingers, so to speak, and he responds with reverence and awe. And he does two very important things here. One, he praises the Lord uh, for what he has done, verse one, and then he attributes it to the Lord as an artist and creator of the universe. And, uh, and this speaks to the idea that God reveals himself through his work of creation, uh, as well as redemption. I mean, that's an, a theme that we talk about over and over again in the Psalms, uh, in Genesis, uh, in the prophets, in the Psalms, that, that uh, God's creation points us to his new creation, uh, that his work in, in making the universe points us to uh, the power that he yield, wields in, in the new creation, in redemption. And, and that's what he's doing here. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God in the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day-to-day -day pours out speech and night uh, reveals knowledge that uh, the God who made the universe uh, exercises glory and power over the universe. And it is this foundation of him as creator that emboldens us, that uh, gives us the courage, that gives us the strength, that gives us the faith that whatever difficulties we may find ourselves in, that God is in control. And, and so he's just setting up that the great glory of God for uh, the subsequent Psalms, the universe, planets and stars, all the galaxies, everything that exists is evidence uh, of God and his glory. Uh, the Nobel laureate uh, Arthur Shavlo says this about uh, what the universe says about God's existence. It seems to me that when confronted with the marvels of life and the universe, one, mu one must ask why and not just how. I think that's an important uh, point that uh, the Nobel laureate says, that it's, it is uh, not just how, but it's just as important 
to ask why. And I think uh, more scientific-minded people uh, suppress this question because it's something that science is not equipped to answer but can answer to take all the the amazing statistics and the probabilities of the universe simply arranging itself by accident the way it is it's just it takes more faith to believe that god doesn't exist and you see the beauty of the gal- of the universe than it is to say that god does exist uh, and then at that that it, that it is a better explanation for the design the beauty and the artistry of of creation but arthur shavlo goes on to say the only possible answers uh, when asking why and, and not just how, the only possible answers are religious. Right? The context of religion is a great background for doing science. Uh, in the words of Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows uh, his handiwork. Thus, scientific research is a worshipful act in that it reveals more of the wonders of God's creation the world is just so wonderful that I can't imagine it was just having come by pure chance. And this was this it really this this quote really resonated with me uh, as a uh, a person doing scientific research. That when I just saw the elegance of the human genome and uh, the the beauty of the cellular machinery and how one. Mute, mutation, even in one base pair, you know, in our in our DNA, when it's strategically placed, mucks up the whole system, and we get something like Alzheimer's, and uh, and to say that all of the intricacy, the complexity of of the human body, even at a genetic cellular level. Um, it's not an accident. It, you just, it's just, you almost have to suppress the knowledge of God. Sounds familiar? Uh, in order to look at the human body and say, you know what? God doesn't exist and we're all accidents. We're, ta- we're time plus stuff uh, plus uh, chemical reactions. And that's who we are because, you know, God doesn't exist and. But the, the irony is in many high-level, world-class academic centers, in other words, the more um, prestigious uh, academic centers of inquiry you go to, like Harvard, Yale, Caltech, uh, physics, astronomy, um, biology, um, anthropology, uh, cosmology, when you get to that, that Nobel laureate level of scientific inquiry, uh, there are more theists, there are more people who believe in God than you would think. And, and it is uh, because Arthur uh, studied physics that he came to the conclusion that God does exist and that the scriptures do reflect uh, the glory of creation that 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 the scriptures really capture uh, that God must must exist because of how majest- majestic his you know his uh, creation really is. Uh, 
that the heavens testify not only to the existence, but to the glory of God. And it's this God who created the universe uh, who also then cares for us. And here we come to the second theme of Psalm 8, that God not only created the universe, the heavens, but he cares for humanity. After contemplating the work of God's fingers in creating the moon and the stars, uh, David wonders how God is mindful of humanity, how, how God cares about humanity. Look at verse four. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Right? David is asking, how could a God so vast and infinite in his power to create such a universe, how could this God care about little old us? Uh, small, insignificant people in the vast ocean of planets, stars, suns, and moons. Think about it. Billions and billions, trillions, trillion billions, right? Not just trillions and billions, but billion trillions of stars, planets, and galaxies. Celestial bodies so innumerable that we cannot count them. They are all working in perfect harmony and in order. Of all the elements, atoms, molecules, of all the biological, chemical processes, of all the infinite events and circumstances that happen every millisecond of every minute of every day in the entire universe, and here we are gathered in this small fellowship hall here in Long Beach at Faith Presbyterian on a Sunday evening. How does this God even care about us? Of course he does. And the question is, why? Why does God care about us uh, in, in the context of, of the vast universe that he created? It's because he created each and every one of us fearfully and wonderfully in his image to be like him and to know him. This is the truth of Genesis 1 and 2 when God created us in his image. He created us uh, separate, different from the animals, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. He created us with the inherent glory and dignity uh, that belongs to his image bearers. And because of that, he is mindful of us. He cares for us. Look at verse 5 that he made man a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. He created us from the dust of the earth for a destiny of glory with him. And this is why he gave mankind dominion over the created order. And if you look at verse six and seven, put all things under his feet. And the idea of dominion doesn't mean oppression or exploitation, but rather one of stewardship and care. And this is how it was supposed to be. But because of Adam and Eve, because they fell into sin, it was all turned upside down. When we are supposed to have dominion over the earth, now the earth has dominion over us. We who are to stand over creation now, uh, because of sin and because of death, are buried under the earth, under, in create, under creation. And this is the sad irony uh, of the grave uh, that we are buried in the belly of the earth. An important consequence of bearing the image of God is the idea, for example, of human rights and dignity. 
Friedrich Nietzsche understood this when he said that if there is no God, then there is no such thing as human rights. If we believe that we are equal before God, then what happens when there is no God? Right? Nietzsche's answer was, then there is no basis for equality or human rights. Uh, the atheist Raymond, Raymond Gaeta re reluctantly responded saying, only someone who is religious can speak seriously of the sacred. We may say that all human beings are inestimably precious, that they are ends in themselves, that they are owed unconditional respect, that they possess inalienable rights, and of course, that they um, possess inalienable dignity. In my judgment, these are ways of trying to say that we feel a need to say when we are estranged from the conceptual resources of God that we need to say it. Not one of these statements about human beings has the power of the religious way of speaking, that we are sacred because God, because God loves us as his children. See, what Gaeta is saying here is that if we have no inherent dignity as image bearers of God, then we have no inherent rights as human beings. And so we, we have to state uh, the existence of God and the image bearer as image bearers so that we can have a firm foundation upon which those inherent dignities, rights, and, and uh, protections are given to every human being. Uh, but as soon as we lay aside the idea of God's existence, then we are also inevitably going to lay aside the existence of right and wrong, as we talked about this morning, as well as the inherent idea of human rights and the protections uh, therein. Uh, and this is one of the really interesting things that I think is coming to the fore in our culture. That uh, because, you know, as uh, Nietzsche had talked about that God is dead, which was his way of saying nobody believes in God anymore, then uh, the inherent uh, dignity of humanity uh, that once was held by a majority of the people no longer is there so something like abortion, killing an unborn child, is not really murder, right? There is no human right for a pre-born child, uh, and it can be seen just as a clump of cells because there is no God, quote-unquote, to tell us differently, whereas the ones who are fighting most for, uh, for advocating most for the pro-life uh, agenda that Every preborn child ought to have uh, human rights uh, and protecting them. That uh, um, it's we people are fighting it, saying, you know, don't impose your religious views on me. You see, they always see it as a re religious conviction trying to be imposed when we say no, because if you don't believe in God, then no one has human rights. And that's also what we're what we're realizing too. For example, nobody's uh, speaking out for the human rights violations and the genocides that are going on in, in the world, uh, particularly, for example, in China. You know, we buy everything from, from China when they are the, one of the most egregious transgressors of human rights and religious persecution. And it's not by coincidence that they are 
intentionally, consciously atheist. Finally, finally, we see the theme of the promised Son of Man in the coming of Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God who shows forth his glory in the heavens. Colossians 1.16 says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. All things were made through him, John 1.3, and without him was not anything made that was made. You see, Jesus is the one who made us in his image and be, and. And we, so we become one of, he became one of us, that he was mindful of us and cares so much for us that God sent his one and only son to redeem us from our sins and make us into his children. That Jesus is the true son of man who comes to seek and save that which was lost, who forgives sins, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many who is the Christ, the son of the living God, who was betrayed and delivered into the hands of sinful men, who died for our sins and rose from the dead after three days. Uh, He ascended to God's right hand and is right now putting everything under his feet. That's what we see here. And he will come again riding on a cloud to judge the world in righteousness and justice. And this is why when the crowd... And all the children shouted uh, during that Passion Week when he entered that triumphant entry into Jerusalem that they cried out, Hosanna to the Son of David. And Jesus quoted this psalm saying, Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have ordained praise. Do you see that Jesus is the Son of Man of which this psalm uh, refers and Jesus is accepting it saying that they are praising me as God, the Son of Man, the creature who became the creator who became the creature, the Son of God who became the Son of Man, Uh, God incarnate, the incarnate God, God become man. He is the one the writer of Hebrews says was made a little lower than angels who by his death on the cross and resurrection is crowned with glory and honor. As, I, we, as we read uh, earlier um, in our service, Hebrews verse 5 and 6, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. He's, he's actually putting in the commentary of its fulfillment, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. This is the promised hope of God's Old Testament people fulfilled in the new, that Jesus would redeem us and fulfill the destiny for which we were created to crown us with glory and honor in Christ for those who repent and put their faith in him. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name, the name of Jesus in all the earth. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for...
this psalm that speaks to uh, the fulfillment for which you created the whole universe, including us, that it would all be fulfilled in the coming of Christ. Lord, help us to appreciate, to recognize, and to worship you uh, because you are majestic and you do all things, Lord, including creating the universe with such glory and beauty. Help us not only to appreciate it, but to worship you for it. And we thank you that it was all fulfilled in the coming of the Son of Man, that who is mindful that you would, you would be mindful of us to die for us, to redeem us, and to make us yours. What an amazing God you are. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.